Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Part of us is here, but part of us is not here. And we want to um, continue to remember to reach out to those that we aren't seeing every Sunday um, and make sure that they still feel uh, very loved and very connected and, and very missed. We understand that this is not the best place for everyone on a Sunday morning, but our church is, is their community. Um, this morning, I want to let you know of a couple of things. Um, one is that Ed Stoner has been moved into hospice care. So he is home, but hospice has been called in. And so I know that they would appreciate your prayers and cards and, and texts of concern for them. and want to be praying for them this week. Um, also, our meal ministry for August is coming up quickly. I feel like we've got kind of a quick turnaround. If you are interested in providing any of the materials or in helping us to put those meals together or deliver them, you can find more on our website. So it would be marysvillenazarene.org backslash meals, or the sign-up will come out in the email tomorrow. Let's go ahead and pray together as we enter into worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for, for your goodness, Lord, your faithfulness, your consistency when everything around us seems to be constantly in flux. Lord, this morning we, we quiet our hearts. Lord, we just come before you ready to hear from you, ready to worship, ready to devote this next hour, Lord, to just being with you. Lord, I pray that you would just quiet everything else, Lord, all the other concerns, all the other worries, all the other things going on right now, Lord, and allow us to just focus. Lord, I pray that you would um, be with everyone who's not able to join with us this morning, Lord, but that they would feel a part of our community and they would feel a part of our worship. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as you guys go ahead and stand, I'm going to read to you from Psalm 63. This prayer says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Who's excited to sing this morning? This is one of those songs where we can just follow the directions of the song. So I want to encourage you as we sing, lift your hands, clap your hands, sing the song. Let's praise him. We lift our hands in the sanctuary. We lift our hands to give you the glory. We lift our
clap for him a little more. You guys, it's okay to give the Lord glory. You're not clapping for us. We're not here to perform for you. I just want to reiterate that. We're here participating in this together, worshiping the Lord together. Amen.
sing a new song, um, which we sang last week at the end of service, if you remember. Um, and I just, my mind was blown last week, even though I had been practicing the song all week. Um, when Dave pulled up the words on the back, I, I saw something new in this song that hadn't struck me before. And that is, if you look at the format of the song, um, we're, talking about, we're talking about Jesus being in the fire. If you remember, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and God being in the fire with them, right? So if you look at the format of this song, the first chorus says, there was another in the fire. There was another in the waters. We're looking back at our past and how faithful God has been. The next chorus says, there is another in the fire. There is another in the water. What we're walking through right now, he is with us. And then the last chorus, there'll be another in the fire. There'll be another in the water. Because we can look at our past and our present and God is with us and he will be with us still. We can cling to that church. We can cling to that truth. I want you to, to do this right here and now. Look at each other because you know each other. You know your testimonies. I'm serious. Look at each other. You know your testimonies of how God has been faithful. This helps us. Now, like Mara said, don't forget those in our church that aren't here. Picture them in your mind too. God is faithful to them too. Let's not forget. He is good. He is with us. He's in our fire, walking through the water with us. There's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me there was another in the waters holding back the sea should i ever need reminding of how i've been set free there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me there is another in the fire
see and this reckoning I know I will never be alone sing that out church This, this story that, um, for me, brings me back to childlike faith, seeing ourselves in the story um, and clinging to the truth that you are in the fire with us. You are walking through the waters with us. And God, I just pray that as we all walk through our different storms of life, you would remind us here and now to keep our eyes fixed on you to keep our eyes above the troubled waters, fixed on you and the peace that you bring and the hope that you, you call us to here on this earth. God, we love you and we want the lives that we live here on this earth to show that love for you. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. All right. We're just waiting on reframing. Stephanie's doing a one-man, two-person job as one person back there, so we just had to wait just a, another second. Hey, I want, you to, I want you guys to know that when we do these next-gen moments, we call them next-gen moments very intentionally, but like, I want you to understand, and I hope that you know that this isn't, like these words are in, in the awesome uh, illustrations that Mara does that I, I can never compete with, and so uh, <laughs> um, the, the tuna fish with ketchup and mustard and discuss <laughs> we can't stop talking about tuna with ketchup and, and okay anyway we want you to know that like this it's not just for the kids and the teens it's not just for the next gen right like the beauty of this is that that we can all gain something from that and so and then when we talk about them with our families our hope is that uh, that we are able to get something from that. It's not just for the kids and for the teens. I just wanted to throw that out there uh, before I jump in this morning. But this morning we're, we're talking about Daniel. And, and here's something that I've noticed as we have, as uh, Pastor Paul and Pastor Mar and myself have been doing uh, the podcast sermon discussions where we've had to like dig deep into the scriptures that we're talking about. It never fails that there's like, in every story, there's this one little statement that seems so minor, but it always catches my eye, right? Like it jumps out for some reason when I'm looking in depth. This one seemingly minor detail just happens to catch my eye. And it's the same way with the story of Daniel. And so this morning, I, I just want to talk, talk about reputation. What do you hope your reputation will be? What do you want your reputation to be? Kids and teenagers, in the next uh, week or, or a little over a week, we'll be starting back to school, whatever that may look like. Some of you may be at school, some of you may be at home, but, but school is this kind of place where we always think, what's our reputation going to be? What do we want our reputation to be? What do we want other people to think 
about us. But it's not just our kids and our teens, right? Like we all think, what do we want uh, people to think about us? What do we want people to know about us? Well, Daniel, we're, again, Pastor Paul's going to be talking about Daniel, but but Daniel was uh, uh, was someone who his people had been captured by the by the by the Babylonian people. They had been captured. They they were in exile. Um, but Daniel and some of his friends, we remember this from last week. Daniel and some of his friends had made their way up kind of the the ladder within the uh, the Babylon uh, kingdom because of their their hard work and their loyalty and their their faithfulness. They had kind of worked themselves up, and they were uh, they were they were doing well within the kingdom that they were exiled in. Well, Daniel had actually kind of worked his way all the way to the top. Like the scripture says that the king had basically given him reign over all of, uh, of the kingdom. He was essentially his right hand man. Well, as you can imagine, uh, when someone rises to power, there are other officials who started to get uh, really upset about that. They started to get jealous and wonder, man, how do we get rid of this Daniel guy because he's getting too much power? So they started to dig up, try to dig up dirt. They wanted to dig up dirt. They wanted to see what was in Daniel's reputation that they could use against him to kind of overthrow him, to get him out of there. Well, do you know what they found when they were digging up his reputation? The only dirt that they could find in Daniel's reputation was that he worshipped his God too much. (laughs) He prayed three times a day to his God. That was the only dirt that they could find up. That was the only blip on his reputation that they could find and so they used that to kind of plot this uh this scenario where the king would create a law that said nobody can worship any other gods and so Yahweh Daniel's God would have been off limits and so they talked the king into uh, creating this law so Daniel couldn't worship his God and the king reluctantly he, he actually was tricked he thought Daniel was on board with this and Daniel is worshiping his God, and, and, and then the king is like, man, I have, to, I have to do this. I have to follow the law. I have no choice. And so as we know in the story, he throws them into the, into the lion's den. And Pastor Paul is going to talk more about that story. But there's one statement that the king says before he throws Daniel into the lion's den. And I think that this just gives a beautiful picture of Daniel's reputation and a reputation that I want to strive for, and it's a reputation that I want you to strive for. Teenagers, as you go back to school, I want you to strive for this reputation. Kids, parents, grandparents, like this is what we should strive for. As the king is getting ready to have Daniel put to death, thrown into the lion's den, he says this, May your God, the one that you serve continually, rescue you. Man, what a statement for the king to say that he noticed, may your God, the one that you serve continually, the one that you serve consistently without fail. Man, that's my desire that that someone would say that about me. (laughs) May the God that you just never stop following, that you never stop serving. So what do you want your reputation to be? My prayer is that your reputation, when someone looks at you at school, says, man, this is someone who serves God continuously. Pastor Paul is going to go ahead and continue the story of Daniel. Action. All right. We've been moving through epic stories, 
And uh, we've hit some classic stories. We talked about Joshua and Jericho. We talked about Gideon. We talked about David and Goliath. These are big stories. These are stories you you learn early on as kids. We we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, which are three great names. If I'd have had three, I wish I'd have named my boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That would have been awesome. Uh, But I don't think Terry would have let me do that. And and so in this month, we're, we're continuing in this epic theme. And and, and we're talking about, as we look at this epic story of God and his invitation for us to join him on this epic adventure, uh, we're looking at the fact that most of the time we live in the detour. We, we live in the ad lib. We, we live in the, the, not, the, not even the plan B, but the plan Z. That, that oftentimes we have this ideal of what God's plan will look like, and it doesn't look anything like it uh, in our life. And this, I love this song, and Amy's pointing out the, another in a fire, and um, there's another is in the fire, another was in the fire, another will be in the fire. I, I, love, I love that um, understanding, because you realize hardship's not new, right? <laughs> the ad lib's not new. This is not the first crisis we have went through, right? You guys have had other hard times in your life. And I've got good news, bad news. Maybe it's no news. This will not be the last crisis we go through in our life. That, that if Jesus tarries and doesn't take his church to be with him, there'll be other issues in the future that we have to deal with. And the promise is the same, that God has been with us, God is with us, and God will be with us. He continues to walk with us through life. And today, we're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den, and, and then the next two weeks, we're going to talk about Esther, and we're going to talk about Esther and Mordecai. Um, if you've been around church any length of time, you've heard these stories before. And even if you've not been in church, most people have heard the, the phrase, Daniel in the lion's den, or they've heard the story of David and Goliath. These are stories that we've heard over and over, and, and they become even part of our culture. You ever hear the phrase, the writing on the wall? Anybody ever hear that phrase? You guys are going to have to participate a little bit, okay? Uh, you ever hear that phrase, the writing on the wall? You know where that comes from? That comes from the book of Daniel. See, in the book of Daniel, the the king sees this disembodied hand, which would be really cool or really scary, whatever your perspective is, writing on the wall, and he has Daniel come in and interpret what this, this hand has written. And this is where we get this phrase, they could read the writing on the wall. And so these stories are, are not stories of the church, but they're stories of culture, that, that most people in some manner have heard these stories. And, and if you've been around the church, you've heard some of these stories dozens, if not more times. I mean, how many times have you read or heard or heard a sermon preached on the story of Daniel and the lion's den? Or how many times have you told that story to a kid or a grandkid or a neighbor kid? How many times have you heard these stories? Why why do we tell them and then tell them again? See, when we tell these stories over and over, it it helps our perspective. It it reminds us that in this epic story of God that we have been invited to be a part, that that it's not just other story, but it's our story, that that we're being drawn into this epic journey. 
See, I think sometimes we get this wrong ideal that there's this, there's pastors and there's special church leaders. And then the rest of us are just kind of going through life. But, but the invitation is not for pastors and just special church leaders. But the invitation is truly for ordinary people following Jesus. That, that he wants us to place our ordinary life before him. And the glory of the church and the glory of the kingdom is not what happens in this building and what I preach. But the glory of this church and the glory of this, this community is how you live this in your neighborhoods. How you live this at your workplace. How you live this in your social settings. How you live this at your schools. See, as we live this kingdom life, that God invites us to place our lives before him. You know, all of life is sacred. Say that with me. All of life is sacred. To, to our Heavenly Father, He sees every bit of your life as sacred, something that He wants, an offering. So when you leave this place, it's, it's not the end of, of the sacred journey when you leave this gathering. This is an important part. But when you leave this room and you go to a restaurant or you go home or you go to your neighborhood, this is still a sacred moment that God wants to be a part of. And in that sacred moment, he can take what's ordinary and make it holy or extraordinary or epic. You fill in the word. Because when God fills those spaces, something special happens. So we tell these stories over and over to remind us ourselves that we are people on a journey, that, that others have went before us, but we're still on the same journey. And, and in the fire, God is with us when we're not in the fire. God wants to be with us. Now, now, I grew up with the illustrated Bible storybooks. Anybody remember those that you, you'd have the kids and, and they'd have those? To be honest, some of the graphics were, some of the illustrations were pretty graphic. You know, you look at them and I, I think that's probably not what I would show a five or six year old uh, in my thinking, but, but some of them are pretty cool. And, and the illustrations for today's story is Daniel and the lion's den. You ever see this illustration? There's Daniel, he's a little bit older. A uh, little bit less hair on his head. Um, the, the lions are behind him, and you know Daniel's in deep thought, just waiting for God to move. He's calm. You know his heart, arms are behind him. He's not worried about the lions. The lions don't know quite what to do. What I love particularly about this illustration, you may not be able to see it on the screen, is there's like little bits of dead animals on the on the floor. That you know they there's still leftovers, and and they haven't ate everything. But it's a familiar story. Daniel, when he's 17 years old, is taken into Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he, he takes the young, the choice, into to Babylon, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we talked about last week. Uh, Daniel is this dream interpreter. Uh, he, he interprets dreams for the king, and he ends up being a, an authority in Babylon. He, he has other visions. <laughs> that some of you may be familiar with, and, and that's a whole other sermon series. As a matter of fact, there's so many different opinions on those other visions. There's probably like three or four different uh, sermon series we could do on Daniel's other dreams. And because of, of pride, Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. And he begins to, to live in the fields like a wild animal. <laughs> and history, by the way, 
collaborates this account that, that Nebuchadnezzar is gone for a while and then he's back. And, and so he goes crazy because of pride and his son Belshazzar becomes king. That's kind of a cool name, Belshazzar. Let's say that again or try to say it again. Belshazzar, all right? Nobody said it with me. Come on, let's do it one more time. Belshazzar, okay? That's another great child name for those of you looking. Belshazzar becomes king and, and he refuses to recognize God. And so we have this scene where he's having this great big party, and in the midst of this party, he sees this disembodied hand right here on the wall, calls in Daniel, and said, Daniel says, you're toast. You know, your, your kingdom's going to fall. And sure enough, the Medes and the Persians conquer ba Babylon. Daniel remains in a leadership role, even with the shift between the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians. Um, I think it's interesting that these stories are written like this because you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's the Babylonians. And they have trouble with the kingdom. And then it's Daniel, and it's the Medes and the Persians, and he has trouble with those in authority. You know, I think it's intentional because I think what Daniel is reminding us of is whoever is in power, whatever the authority is, trouble is universal. Whether it's Democrats or Republicans in the White House, people, we will have trouble. It's true, right? Somebody nod your head, all right? I, I feel like I'm preaching to the NBA screen where it's just those, the, those faces on the screen. You know, we're going to have trouble, whatever the authority is. And, and Daniel, living through two kingdoms, remains in a leadership role. And not only that, but he begins to distinguish himself among other leaders. And, and the king is going to appoint Daniel over the entire kingdom. Daniel, the Hebrew. The 17-year-old, taking from his country as a slave, has risen in authority, not through one kingdom, but two kingdoms, where he's going to be in charge of the entire kingdom. And the other leaders are jealous. Now, I know, this is a stretch. Could you imagine anybody in a political position being jealous of another leader? That, that just doesn't happen, right? This is like science fiction. It's, it's real life. This is what we see now. They, they become jealous of Daniel, and they trick the king. They lie to the king. They say, hey, and, and they play to his ego and say, hey, you know, you're so great. Nobody should be praying to you, anyone other than you. And so just issue this order for 30 days. No one will pray to anyone else but you. And if they do, you'll throw them in the lion's den. And they play to the king's ego, and they play to, to who he believes he is. And, and sure enough, the king issues such an order. And Daniel just continues to do what he's always done. Doesn't hide it. Doesn't flaunt it. Doesn't make a big deal about it. Just as he's always done, Daniel continues to pray and submit to his God. And the king reluctantly throws Daniel in the lion's den. Let's begin reading in verse 16 of, of Daniel 6. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, 
your God, whom you consistently serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of other of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. What's pretty, pretty godly actions by Darius here, right? He understood who Daniel's God was, and he's praying and fasting, interceding for Daniel. Then the king arose at dawn, at the break of the day, and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you, deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I have, was found innocent before him, and also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. The king then was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You know, there's a lot in this story, and, and truly we could probably preach a couple of weeks on this story. And, you know, I, I find it striking just this idea that, that Daniel was able to serve his God and yet serve this king. That, that, that there's this balance where that we can be part of this place and yet still serve a higher power. Sometimes it's difficult, right? But Daniel was living on that edge where his main allegiance was to God. His primary allegiance was to God, and yet he still faithfully served the king. But I want you to see two things this morning. Daniel maintained his character despite long-term cultural pressure. I believe one of the reasons Darius trusted Daniel was even though he had been in Babylon, he had not become a part of Babylon. He still maintained a character in a way that was different than other people. You know, long-term pressure can cause big changes. Daniel has been in Babylon for 50 years. 50 years. When was 50 years? 1970. Anybody remember 1970? Okay. Any changes in your life since 1970, right? <laughs> 50 years. Anyone who's dealt with water problems can relate to this. A little water over a long time can do a lot of damage. Anybody ever find damage in your home and you didn't know it, it's weeks or months and it creates all sorts of havoc. Culture can be the same way. You know, it's the image of erosion. And we have a picture of a, and this is somewhere in Canada, somewhere in, there it is, there it is. This is a display showing water damage after 15 years, after 25 years, after 50 years. And you can see even after 15 years, just dripping water can begin to eat into a rock. And, and then after 25 years, you begin to see a, a, a rut in the rock. And then after 50 years, and that's just water dripping. 
culture can have the same effect. It, it, it could begin to erode our values, our priorities, what, what we believe is important. And so the question I have for you this morning is, how are you doing? Have minor cultural drips created major changes in your life? And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not suggesting that life doesn't change and culture doesn't change and we change. But has it affected your character? Are there things that 20 years ago you wouldn't have thought of doing, but today is different? One final thing to see. Daniel's character was not affected by undesired circumstances. He was taken at 17. And, and so we can imagine or understand or believe that he had lost connection with his homeland, probably had very little recollection of what it meant or what it was like to live in Israel, probably never saw family members again. You know, if he ever saw his parents again, uh, it was probably unlikely that he did, probably lost contact with siblings. And throughout this time, for the people of Israel, there's this strong desire and belief that they would return home. That They were still waiting for God to take them back to Israel. Babylon was not the resting place. It was not the final spot. Babylon was a place on the journey, but Israel was home. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel, and he wrote this letter. He sends it to the exiles, and, and Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exile whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I'm going to stop right there just for a second. Whom I have sent. See, God had sent his people into exile to refine them. And I'm not going to suggest that, that God has, has brought COVID-19 on the world, but, but is it possible that God has an intention to refine his church in the midst of this? That, that somehow, even though things seem out of control, that God still is in control, and in his control, God wants to see the church come out from this a different, a different being, a different bride refined, purified, clarified, maybe with new priorities, that, that perhaps if God can use exile for Israel, God can use this in the church to create a community more in line with his kingdom. Nobody say amen. Somebody said amen. <laughs> Build houses. It says, God, to the people in exile, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. You will have welfare. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Then it goes into the verse that we used, I believe, last week. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. What's Jeremiah saying? People are saying this is short term. These circumstances are going to pass. And God's saying they're going to be here for a while. As a matter of fact, plan on seeing your grandkids born in this place. The, the, the prophets were saying, we're going home. And Jeremiah was saying, build a house. Have a family. You're going to be staying for a while. You know, all of us deal with undesired circumstances. In Daniel's life and in the life of Israel, they did not want to be in Babylon. It wasn't their plan. It wasn't what they wanted. And all of us deal with undesired circumstances in our life. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you have a job you don't love. Maybe it's a relationship that's not perfect. Can I be honest with you enough to say there are no perfect relationships? Things are not as you dreamed them, dreamed they would be. That you're not living in plan B, you're living in plan triple Z. And sometimes these circumstances force us to make change in the way we do life so that we can improve our circumstances. And it's okay to try to create change. Change isn't bad unless it comes at the cost of your character. See, see, Daniel did not let his circumstances change his character. I used this phrase in, in a sermon series not too long ago, and, and the grammar may not be great, but I think the truth is, is a pretty good truth to grab hold of. I cannot control my circumstances, but my circumstances will not control me. In other words, the fact is we can't, our life can't be fully planned. You know, we don't, we don't get up on Monday morning and write out a planner in our planner what we're gonna, what's going to happen that week, and it'll always happen like that, right? If anybody had that happen, let me know. I, I want you to start planning my life. You know, circumstances are not in our control, but we don't have to let our circumstances control us. And too often, we allow our circumstances to change our perspective and our character. A couple questions. And I've got in my notes, I'm, I'm calling this listening time. It's, it's listening time. Our culture can be pretty loud. Um, and this is a space to listen to God. You know, I, I'm not, uh, well, I guess I am. I might as well stop saying I'm not, I am. I hate social media. I do. I, I see the stuff out there, and, and people use social media as a space for debate, and it's not a space conducive for debate. And, and so it ends up just 
spewed out from both sides. If you do that, God bless you. But, but I don't think that's, that's not a debate for him. So I stay on Facebook so I can see cute pictures of your puppies and know when your birthdays are. But I really don't care what your political opinions are on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever we want to post it. And our culture is so loud with these little snippets of opinion. And frankly, sometimes it's ugly. The, the, the news that we hear is geared towards the bad because guess what? Bad news sells more than good news. And so we live in this age where our culture is bombarding us with division and distrust and bad things, ugly things. And it's so easy to become overwhelmed by what we're hearing that this still small voice of God becomes muted. And so this is listening time. You know, it's a place where you've come in. I hope it's not the only space that you have for this, but this is a space where you've come in and we've sang some songs and, and, and I've tried to preach a word and we've tried to focus on God's word, but, but more than anything else, we don't seek a message or a song, we seek a presence, right? That's a good Wesleyan understanding of why we've gathered to worship. We gather in this place because we don't need another message but we definitely need more of God. And so in this space, we listen. Has my character been eroded by my culture? Have my circumstances changed my character? I'm going to ask Brian just to, to play some soft music. And we're going to take a minute. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Our, our altars are always available if you'd like to come and pray. Altars are great places, but you can pray in your pew or in your, your seats as well. So I just encourage you, allow God to speak. And then I'm going to close this in prayer. Be holy, because your Lord, your God, is holy. Those are big words. And I believe as we, we read those words and think about those words, God, I, I believe you're calling us to separate ourselves from culture to the extent that our culture doesn't form us. Instead, we are formed and we are, we are reformed through the presence of God so that we live consistently with the nature of God. And our God is holy. He's different. He's extraordinary. He's set apart. He's different than anything else that we see in this world. He's a God of love, of mercy, of forgiveness, of righteousness, of goodness. He's a God who listens. He's a God who intercedes. May we be people who demonstrate the character of God. May we be people of mercy and love and kindness and forgiveness. May we be people who listen. May we be people who are willing to give of ourselves for the benefit of each other. I'm reminded, Lord, of, of what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, they will know 
you are my disciples by your love for one another. Jesus didn't say, they will know you're my disciples because you like the same songs, that you have all the same opinions, that you think the same, that you can spout the same theology or doctrine, but they will know you are my disciples because of love. And when I think about love, Lord, what I realize is that that love is something that overcomes even differences of opinions. And in fact, love oftentimes is more visible in the hard times than the easy times. So you call us to be a people of love, a people of forgiveness and compassion and mercy, a people who listen to one another, walk with one another, and encourage one another. So I pray, Lord, that will understand that there is competing forces in our culture that move us the other direction. There's forces that move us to division instead of unity. There's forces that move us to bitterness instead of joy. There's forces that move us towards greed instead of thanksgiving. Help us, Lord to center ourselves in you in such a way that our priorities, our perspective is set by you. And Lord, as I pray those things, I'm reminded that this isn't something we do through self-will. That this isn't something that just happens because we learn more than other people. Self-will and, and learning is good things, but what you said is that you will send your spirit. And your spirit will do that work within us that we can't otherwise do. So Lord, help us to be living sacrifices, allowing your spirit to transform our inner being so that our outer being follows our inner being. May we be transformed from the inside out so that we can see with new eyes that we can have a fresh mind. Lord, I'm thankful for those that are here those that have gathered in these two services. And I'm thankful to those who are gathered by, by computer and, and by other means. These are strange times, but you are no different. We can trust you even in the midst of this. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. You are dismissed.